on the floor of the woodlands. Wild horses galloping through the forests of Transylvania. The scorching desert sun warming a giant concrete pillar filled with saline solution. Wait. So that it... What? A, a concrete pillar? What, what's the connection between that and a nice walk in the woods or wild horses in the forest? The saline solution is heating up. Uh, so? So it, it'll give off steam. So you're going to have a sauna in the desert? You're, you're interrupting my relaxation time. Ah, the scent of a polluted site of a former chemicals factory south of Brussels. How is this stuff relaxing? I'm trying to get in tune with my environment. Ah, so each of these things, the forest, the woodlands, the desert, the former chemicals factory... It's part of the environment. Is that what we're talking about? Well, actually, they're part of the environment that needs to be protected or cleaned up. And all of that costs money. Which is why we end up with a term that brings together two seemingly disparate things, environment and finance. This episode of A Dictionary of Finance is about environmental finance. Right. Now you try it. Now take a deep breath and think of your favorite environment. Ah... I'm sitting in the Gallonero, the wine bar in Tallinn, having a glass of Barolo, a, a second glass. Let's make it a bottle. Wait, 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 wait. Before you get out of hand, we'd better start the podcast. This is a dictionary of finance from the European Investment Bank. And this episode is about environmental finance. So we're joined by three experts on this subject. Uh, First, we've got Eva Meyerhofer, who is lead environment and biodiversity specialist in the Environment, Climate and Social Office here at the European Investment Bank. Everybody here actually has really great titles, nice green-sounding titles. So we're going to mention all of them. But uh, something you... um, well, you, our listeners, won't know about Ava, but we didn't know until a few moments ago, is that she's actually a death-defying diver. What was it you were gathering from the, the bottom of the sea? Benthic organisms. What's benthic organisms? Yes. What are they? All the little critters that live, you know, uh, at the bottom of the sea, in this the seabed. Is, this is for your research as a marine biologist? Yes. So... Our listeners tuned in here to find out about finance, and they actually found out about benthic organisms. <laughs> well, we also have with us uh, Jane Feehan, who is a loan officer with our Environment and Climate Finance Policy Unit. And um, before getting into finance and banking, uh, Jane actually once used to um, sort insect collections at the Oxford Natural History Museum. Do they have any famous insect uh, specimens there? You know, what's the, what's the Mona Lisa of insect specimens? There were a few um, hallowed cabinets which had um, some of Charles Darwin's insect collections and some of the collections of Alfred Russell Wallace. And um, I was only a student, so I wasn't really allowed to go anywhere near those, but I did sneak a look from time to mm. time. But they already had the pins inside them, so you didn't have to actually, you know, push the pin through them. Long yourself. dead. Those okay. guys were long dead, yes. 
All right, and then we also have with us James Rene Bosson, who's a managerial advisor in the Environment and Climate Finance Policy Unit. And an interesting fact about him, coming, you know, especially since he's dealing with environmental finance, is that he actually once used to work at a gasoline station, helping his mother run the station in Madagascar. That's correct. <laughs> so this is really you doing penance. For uh, for what you did to, to destroy the environment. That's the idea behind all this. No, I think <laughs> it was sort of social services because in a country like Madagascar, ah. selling this fuel, petrol, and etc. is really fundamental for the population. Uh-huh. Yes. Ah, so you've just been a do-gooder... All your life, really. That's a, that's where that's where we are now. Well, we're, we're delighted to have you with us because uh, environmental finance is something that I think people are thinking quite a lot about at the moment, but they probably don't know what it is. Now, we should tell our listeners that we're going to be doing a few, uh, let's say, green um, podcasts in the next couple of weeks. We've got this one on environmental finance. We'll be doing one which will be uh, published in a week on green bonds. And then after that, we're going to have one on climate finance. And the reason why we're doing these is uh, the, the COP, which is short for... Conference of Parties. Oh, the Conference of Parties. <laughs> that, that sounds like fun. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> but of that's, that's the conference that came up with the Paris Accord um, three years ago? Two um, years two ago. Two years ago now. It's, it's, it's been two years ago, and uh, we'll be excited to learn about what they've come up with uh, this year. Jane, let's start by, rather than just saying what environmental finance is, we have an environment all around us, but finance implies that someone's paying for something. Isn't the environment free? Mm, well, mm. Um, some things and some some of the goods and services that we get from the environment are free, um, and and some of that free stuff should remain free, and we should be we should probably get better at protecting those things that are free and should remain free so that we don't overuse them in the future. You know, iconic species um, um, aspects of our environment which are really really important to us. But then there are um, goods and services that we get from our environment which are free but should not be so. Um, they have a price and a value, and, and there we need to get better at determining what the right price is and making sure that the right people pay for that. Can you give us an example of what, what should be priced better yeah. or at a more adequate level? Yeah. Well, um, there, are, um, there are lots of examples of um, uh, impacts of different industries on, uh, say, for example, greenhouse gas emissions, on uh, use of water or on polluting of, of, of natural sources of water, uh, on, uh, on, on soil health, soil erosion. Um, those kinds of things have, have, have an impact and have a real value. That, that impact might be felt by other people or in the future, so it might not appear on the on the balance sheet or on the profit and loss of that company, but that price will be paid by someone at some time, and we do need to get better about at, at bringing uh, bringing that price onto the balance sheet and the profit and loss of 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 um, uh, commercial activities in the present time. But when we talk about environmental finance, we we're really talking about you know the need to conserve that environment to 
to make sure that we have that free stuff also in the future and that conservation is what takes financing. Is that, is that what we're doing with environmental finance? Well, environmental finance is a very big umbrella. Um, really, uh, bro- broadly, it means um, using financial tools, financial instruments um, for the good of the environment. And um, uh, I think a lot of us in the EIB would say that that's what we should be doing at all times, right? But uh, uh, it, at, as a label at the moment, it means a, a subset of, 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 of financial activities more generally. So I've always been wondering, when we talk about finance and, and at the EIB, we, we usually we finance uh, you know, uh, viable business cases. So is environment a viable business case in the sense that does it bring um, financial returns as well, or is this just something that we do because you know it's the good thing to do yes uh, let's be precise environmental finance exists for decades in the united states conservation land trusts were really the very first example of uh, <clears throat> of uh, um, environmental finance it is to protect part of land in the united states to to, to, to avoid misuse of this land. In the United States as well, the trading of uh, polluting uh, emission exists since the, the 90s, uh, the 90s uh, through the Clean Air Act. And it is only after that the market, when it became really more market-based, especially in Europe, took these techniques as a way to protect the environment. And environmental finance is, generally speaking, the investment methodology, let's say, set of methodologies used to protect the natural capital on which all businesses depend on. So basically, we're using... The, the, pollute, the idea is that the polluters should pay for what they pollute, and we're, we should be using that money to then reinvest into the environment to kind of uh, undo the damage or, you know, better protect what, what is out there. Or to make especially things sustainable, mm-hmm. because what we use today, one day or another, the future generation has to pay for it with dependency, with failure of access to this kind of natural capital or good ecosystem services. So investments is needed for preservation and for future access for sustainability. Well, this is a dictionary of finance, so let's get a few mm-hmm. terms down mm-hmm. here. Eva, what, what does sustainable really mean? Uh, th- that, that's a loaded question, actually, because I think we've, we've um, tried try to define uh, the, the term sustainability ever since the um, uh, Rio Convention in 1989. Um, so um, sustainability for, for me it con- uh, contains three pillars, and that's um, economic sustainability or economic viability, social viability, and environmental sustainability. So if you have all three components, um, then you will end up with a, uh, a sustainable project. So you have to take into consideration um, the four, let's say, the four areas of, uh, of capital, so social capital, natural capital, which is what uh, James mentioned, in, uh, which encompasses, let's say, the environment and its services, um, 
financial capital and economic capital. And then you'll have uh, a sustainable environment or a sustainable pathway. And in order to get to that, you need to uh, include, you know, the sustainable development goals as well as the objectives under the Paris Agreement. Uh, and there you'll go down a sustainable um, or what we call now green growth or sustainable growth uh, sh- a shift in paradigm, really, from business as usual. So when we think about environmental finance, we, we usually think about, let's say, water projects or forestry and things. But you could have unsustainable water projects and unsustainable forestry projects. What is it that really makes them sustainable? Well, I think uh, the the main main reason is because the externalities and the impacts of uh, uh, on environment or the value of natural capital or biodiversity is not included in your cost benefit analysis. If you don't, you can't manage anything that you do not value. Um, and therefore, and this is something going back to even David Pierce, um, uh, Professor Pierce, um, uh, when he was talking about energy economics and envir- uh, including environmental externalities into your uh, decision-making process. If you don't do that, you are um, you are not making an informed decision based on 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 sustainable on the pillars of sustainability so including socioeconomic costs of the impacts on environment is absolutely critical so ever so what we try to do at the european investment bank is in addition to looking you know when a when a company comes to us for financing in a, in addition to looking at their balance sheet and and their business case for for a loan we try to also uh, look at what they're doing and to figure out if they're having some sort of an adverse impact on on their environment, which may not show up on their balance sheet. Is that right? That's correct. Uh, and so they are the entry point, our environmental and social standards, and uh, specifically standards uh, directed at environment and biodiversity, um, and looking at ensuring that they mitigate any of their impacts or actually compensate for, for some of these impacts if they are impacting on critical habitat. Jane, I think we, we all know that with climate finance, let's say, there's an awful lot at stake. There's climate change. If we don't finance climate action, essentially the world is really going to hell. What's at stake with environmental finance? How extreme is the situation? I mean, climate finance uh, is part of environmental finance. Um, and in fact, when we look at the impacts of climate change and then when we look at um, the impacts of uh, uh, water over-extraction, water pollution, um, soil degradation, loss of productive land, actually all of these things are connected. And um, uh, the increase in one impact can exacerbate the existing impact of another pressure. So, so these things are in fact uh, connected. There's some really good data to show that actually the costs the businesses are, are paying now today um, are in fact not, not reflecting quite a big chunk of what they should be reflecting in terms of impacts on uh, different uh, environment, aspects of, of environmental health, including greenhouse gas emissions. And actually, if we use the best data we have to try to count how much that, that would be and what that would mean for the, for the, the, the costs that a, that a real business would have to pay annually, 
we see that it's, it's, it's huge. Uh, the total unpriced natural capital, when we say natural capital, we mean um, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, water use, land use, air pollution, these kinds of things, that that would account for 13% of annual GDP. Mm. And that actually, if balance sheets and cash flow statements were telling the truth as regards impacts on natural capital, that um, the majority of businesses studied would not be profitable at all. Mm-hmm. which is quite a terrifying fact. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and really it shows the, the urgency uh, of, um, of really becoming much more scrupulous about looking at the, the, mm-hmm. the impacts uh, of, these, of, of, of what we're doing to natural capital and making sure that we price it into, into how we run our countries and our businesses. What are, what are good environmental projects that, that we, we try to finance? Yeah, I mean, as you say, Alar, it's useful to make the distinction, isn't it, between... Um, the, the safeguards that we have to observe across our full portfolio mm-hmm. and then those projects which actually have um, uh, a, a climate objective or uh, nature conservation um, or um, water purification or something which is to do with, let's say, uh, directly speaking, uh, envi- the environment which have those points at the heart of their business case mm-hmm. and it's useful to make a distinction between those two things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the bank has a very robust set of environmental and social uh, safeguards which applies across everything that we do, even if a project doesn't have um, uh, an environmental purpose uh, as, its, as its overall uh, headline. Yeah, but then, and then we also we, we finance projects that try to take into account um, the cost of, of uh, the natural capital, right? And we, yes. that try to... Um, kind of price that in and try to make, you know, do they are these projects that actually make money off the environment in a way that makes end users pay for their use of environment? Or what kind of projects are we talking about when we're talking about sort of environmental finance projects? Yeah, that's true. We have a, a growing portfolio of projects which are really trying to to realize the commercial value of natural capital, not just protecting it, but actually looking at the investment rationale, the business case. Um, and, and a recent example of that would be um, the bank's support to um, Rewilding Europe, where there um, we have an organisation which wants to, to realise the commercial potential of, um, of some of the beautiful natural or semi-natural regions that we have in Europe. And really to say, well... Um, People want to come and visit these these places. There's fantastic ecotourism potential. Um, there are goods and services being produced in these locations which are dependent on the natural value of these places. Mm-hmm. So um, there, there, is, uh, there, there, there is commercial potential there and there is a business case that we can develop and, and scale up. Um, and indeed then, in such a business, um, some of the profits that are being made need to be need uh, um, to be put back into maintaining, uh, restoring and developing that, mm-hmm. that natural capital, which is indeed the foundation of the enterprise. But such an, let's say, innovative approach of protecting the nature is risky. And risky that must find capital. Which capital would go there? Only what we could call patient capital could go there. No commercial bank today would go there straight away. So either it is public institutions like us 
development finance institution or something like that that would come supported by uh, governmental agencies. From time to time, foundations, conservation organizations would put a little bit of money. The, the, the goal here of environmental finance and especially looking at nature uh, as, an, um, as an asset is actually transforming that uh, nature from a charity case, which it has been, if you will, uh, a bit through the safeguards approach to really an asset class in which you can then attract investors to come in and invest in, in nature. And And there are a number of challenges associated with it because you have to keep in mind that nature is the social net for a lot of communities and especially in developing countries. Um, so saving that nature without, um, let's say, financializing it is uh, very difficult. And we always talk about an economic value rather than a financial value that we put uh, on nature. And the other challenge as a global common um, is that who owns once the moment you, you classify it as, a, as an asset, and you mentioned earlier on environment is free, but then who owns the asset? And then who will own, if you're talking about investments, who will own the returns on that asset? And then um, how will you then actually measure and value the economic and non-financial return of that uh, particular asset. And these are all the uh, questions that the financing community as well as, the, let's say, the nature community are trying to grapple with. Mm -hmm. So usually when we think of environment, we think of trees and forests, maybe we think of deserts, we think of the oceans and things. But how about the urban environment? One of the projects that I thought was most interesting in, in the environmental area that the bank did in the last couple of years was the Ginkgo Fund. Mm -hmm. And that was one of your deals, James. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because that was all about the urban environment and taking uh, old industrial sites that were filled with mm -hmm. chemicals that were decades old and turning them into something, into a, a nice environment. How did that work? Yes. So um, technically speaking, it is, let's say, And in the uh, environmental finance aspect, it is one of the easiest deals to do. Yes, because cities are there to grow and to host a growing number of population. At the end of the day, you have to do something on places that are not occupied. So you have to find a solution. The solution is to depollute to avoid any health uh, consequences on that place. But once you have done that, it is easy to build something there. And real estate is something that will never fail, especially in big cities. So, so, the, is. So, so the criteria for that being environmental finance is that we're not looking for that to become like a, a, a mini park within that city where, you know, wild horses roam or something, you know, just having a plot depolluted, even though it's for real estate mm -hmm. development, mm -hmm. that still qualifies as environmental finance. There are a lot of advantages in land decontamination. It's really building the, the city of tomorrow from the time of industrial uh, era where they are all close to these cities 
and now cities have absorbed them and now we are building the cities of the future that has to have them in it but you have to build clean sustainable infrastructure as well to make that bigger space let's say connected and it's so also good it's also, of it. it's also yeah. good for the natural environment exactly. right because uh, with mm-hmm. the increased urbanization there will be more room and space for the for the natural uh, natural environment mm-hmm. to flourish right exactly that's that's really the there's a, another buzzword that uh, that i've heard around a lot recently and i wonder if it is to do with environmental finance it sounds like it is i'm going to ask our marine biologist the blue economy is that environmental finance What is the blue economy? Well, the blue economy, uh, I think there's no one set definition. And I have to say, I mean, uh, our, our definition really is limited to, you know, fisheries, aquaculture, coastal, uh, um, coastal um, marine coastal areas and the, the protection of marine environments. So, yes, it is, uh, would fall under uh, environmental finance. Others have a definition that include um, deep-sea mining. And for me, the moment you include deep-sea mining, it isn't environmental finance. What are you mining in the deep sea? Oh, you've got quite a few uh, important minerals uh, that uh, could be very valuable um, for, uh, for the economy, for industry in, in that seabed of yours. Oh, so the so, blue economy isn't always green. Okay. No, the blue economy is not always blue or green, yes. <laughs> so now it's your uh, time for you to impress us. What's your idea? Jane, let's start with you. No pressure, right? Uh, what's your idea for how environmental finance will look in the future and how is it going to change the world? Well, Matt, I think that environmental finance should be the new normal. And I think if we could change the way things, the way, the way we do things in order to bring uh, the environmental finance approach uh, closer to our day-to-day business, I think it would be great if we didn't just think in terms of quarters, as we usually do as bankers, but to think in terms of centuries and to look ahead into the, the future of our grandchildren and, and to ask, well, what would this long-term investment mean for them? James? Less public money, but the private actors would find by themselves the equilibrium of what is it to make finance uh, sustainable for the environment. And I assume that, you know consumers and private investors, private people becoming more aware of the environmental impact is a big part of that. If they they choose to make their investment decisions and consumer decisions based on an understanding of of the environmental impact the company or a product has, then that will also force the businesses and to investors to look for those kinds of solutions. Is that right? Yes, and if the government has to spend money on that, it is really to make campaigns to make, let's say, people really aware of what should be done in order to reach this target, to reach this environmental objectives, to reach this one and this one. I think that's really the best way to see it. Government plays the role of motivation and the actors themselves would find the equilibrium. Um, to, I think to, um, to complement both what Jane and James uh, said is uh, that the relationship between environmental quality and economic profitability needs to be mainstreamed and integrated uh, in macro uh, analysis and decision-making processes in the areas of finance and investment. And then it becomes the new normal. 
Eva, Jane, James, thank you very much. Uh, this has been a Dictionary of Finance by the European Investment Bank. Uh, we hope you learned something about the different terms and concepts used in environmental finance today. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter and tell us your dream for the future of environmental finance. I'm sure there must be a few financial environmental dreamers out there. So you can get in touch with me at EIBMATT, E-I-B-M-A-T-T. It's still so easy for you. And I'm at Alar Tankler, A-L-L-A-R-T-A-N-K-L-E-R. You know, you can actually change your Twitter handle, you know, without losing all your followers. I don't have that many to begin with, so yes, I should. <laughs> no, yes. maybe you should. Okay. All right. So uh, this is the first one of the three, possibly even four, podcasts that we'll be doing that are linked to uh, the conference of parties uh, which is you've been right it's a lot of fun there right? it's a party it seems is it a party it's in Bonn 24-7 unfortunately 24-7 mm-hmm. wow it's in Never Bonn stopped. that's not the biggest uh, party town in the world I suppose but it is the home of the Haribo gummy bear that's mm. not very environmental <laughs> anyway <clears throat> that's a useless fact for you today after all these very important facts so this uh this is the first of those four. Uh, tune in for the others. Download them on um, all the iTunes and the other places where you can get our podcast on Stitcher and so on. And we'll see you next week on a dictionary of finance from the European Investment Bank. Mm-hmm.